So last Sunday, I told you we were going to start talking about having a spiritual Christianity, a spiritual faith, or, or even a spiritual worldview. And it's not too much different than what I've been talking about for the last year, but just, just a little angle change in direction. Faith is the foundation of absolutely everything that we do. So we're going to talk about faith to engage what Jesus called the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. And I read you the scriptures where Jesus said that the Father requires us to worship in spirit and in truth. And uh, that I think most uh, American evangelical churches, we have the worship in truth down, um, even on the issues that we might debate doctrinally. If you're an evangelical Christian, you, you pretty much know that Jesus is the Son of God, and he's the only way to salvation, and that's what matters. But the worshiping in spirit is... Uh, is missing in a lot of what we do. Not everything, but we want to be intentionally spiritual. The scripture said that in the flesh we cannot please God, but we know that in the spirit we can. So I told you we were going to talk about spiritual Christianity, how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, about our Traditions and rituals like communion and baptism, how are those spiritual activities? Tongues and miracles and healings and angels and demons and heaven and hell. We're just going to spend a long time going through what the Bible says about these things. What does it mean to be spiritual? It, it doesn't mean what we normally mean when we use that word. Usually that word gets, me, gets used in place of religious and I don't want it to be religion at all. I want it to be active faith in the spirit realm, in the kingdom of heaven. So if you weren't here last week, you need to catch up because that's going to be the foundational scriptures for everything we hang our hat on for the next year or so. Uh, what does it mean to be spiritual? We're supposed to be aliens and strangers in this world. You know that scripture, right, that Peter wrote us. We're supposed to be aliens and strangers here and citizens of the kingdom of heaven. But I would guess that most of us spend 99.9% of our time in this world and we are strangers to the kingdom of heaven. I know that we have some faith about some things and some interaction with the heavens in some things, but, but I'll bet we've got it mostly backward. That heaven is the place that we're strangers and aliens to, and we're really comfortable operating in this world. We want to reverse that so that we are aliens and strangers here, and that we are comfortable citizens at home in the kingdom of heaven. So, I told you last week that we're going to start with, today, how to know even what or where your spirit is, because your spirit is the connection to the Holy Spirit. So if you don't know what that even means, what the Bible says, how God has shown us how to find our spirit and how to tell the difference between that and our mind, if we don't know where our spirit is and what it looks and sounds like, how to think about what a spirit is, then we're going to have trouble engaging in prayer and in worship and in following the voice of the Holy Spirit and so on. So today, what I want to help you with is how to know where your spirit is, inside of you, I mean. How do you know? Uh, 
This is not exactly how to follow the voice of the Holy Spirit, but it kind of is. But it'll, it'll just be a, a primer on, on that. So let's start in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Paul says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Uh, sanctify means to wash you clean and make you holy. May he sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that you have three parts? You are a trinity just like God. You have a spirit and a soul and a body. This verse says so. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are a trinity. You are three in one just like God is. In Genesis 1.27 it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. That does not mean that when God looks in the mirror he sees something that looks like Mitch or Herman. God help us all if he looks like us. All right. It does not mean that God has a, an outward appearance like any of us. It means that our being is created the same way God's being is. He is three in one and we are three in one. All right. We are one person, but there are three parts that are inseparable. If they separate, we die. We have a body and we have a soul and we have a spirit. First Thessalonians 5.23 said so. Our body is obviously this physical outside part of us. You know that you are more than a body because even in English we have the phrase, my body. Right? You are something separate from your body and you own your body. The real you is not this. This is mine. Well, mine what? The real me owns this. I own it like I own my car or my house. It's mine. It is, this is not me. This is mine. Right? And, and in every language, we refer to the body as something that we own or something that we live in. It's not the whole complete us. So we have a body and we have a soul. The Bible word is soul. The psychological word for that is self or ego. Ego in common English gets dumbed down to just mean our selfishness and our arrogance, but ego in the terms of Freud means your self or your being. So the Bible word is soul. It corresponds to our self, our mind, our personality, our will, our emotions, our memories, our thoughts, our motivations, our imagination, and our desires. Everything that makes you, you is your soul. And then you have a spirit. In the Bible, the spirit is always represented as breath. In fact, the word spirit means wind or breath. It is the breath of life in you that comes from God. It is what makes you alive. The, your spirit is your life force. It's a breath of life. It's fire. It's the living part of you that is eternally alive. The Bible also uses the word heart interchangeably. The word heart in Hebrew when we read our English Bible in the Old Testament where it says heart, the Hebrew word is bowels. And it means the deepest core part of you. It doesn't mean your large intestine. It means the deepest core part of you that is the furthest inside. That's your spirit. Okay? So you have a spirit, a breath of life. You have a flame. You have a fire in there. A living being. And in common everyday English, it is accurate to refer to the Spirit as our conscience. 
Conscience is a Bible word, and it is synonymous with our spirit. It is uh, what keeps our body and our soul in check when they want to do things or not do things that they should or shouldn't. Your conscience is, in a broad sense, the voice of your spirit. So a hundred years ago, there was a French um, author named Georges Bernanos, and he said, Souls, one almost blushes to write this sacred word today. For millions of imbeciles, it is only a vulgar synonym for the subconscious, and the subconscious must remain under the control of the psychiatrist. It's probably pretty easy for you to imagine your soul because that's your mind. When you are laying awake at night in the middle of the night thinking whatever you're thinking, that's your soul. That's your soul operating. All right, but I would guess that a lot of us are really unsure as to what the difference between that is and my my spirit. I'm not exactly not exactly sure what the difference is. So I'm going to tell you that you know more of the difference between your body, soul and spirit than you have given thought to probably. When I talk about spirits and souls today, I'm not talking about psychiatry or psychology. I'm not talking about chemistry. I'm not talking about genetics. Although I deny none of those, uh, they're all real. And somehow our spirit and our soul are connected to our genetics. I don't know how to explain it. I'm not here as an expert on that. I don't deny psychology. I don't deny the chemistry that goes on in us. But souls and spirits are real. That's my expertise. That's what I'm here to tell you today. I'm not saying that uh, we, a surgeon could go down in here and find a spot where your soul lives. Psychiatrists and scientists for a couple hundred years have done experiments trying to find where in the brain the mind is, and they cannot find it. We know absolutely there's a brain-mind connection, but the mind does not live in the brain. That was established 150 years ago when they actually used to take the cap off people's skulls and put electrodes in their brain while they were awake and then run all sorts of tests. And it's how they've mapped out the brain uh, lobes and areas before CAT scans and all that sort of stuff. I'm not denying psychology or chemistry or genetics, but we are spiritual beings. I would guess you sort of, kind of agree with that or you wouldn't be here. But as I said last week, Christianity is not about being good people and going to church. It is about being one with the Holy Spirit of God. It is about being filled with spirit and having interaction with that spirit. So we're supposed to be a spiritual people. And I told you last week, your eyes and ears have got to be turned on. The example I use is this room is full of radio signals. All the radio stations, all the cell phone calls in this entire valley are in this room. But you can't hear them because your tuner isn't on. If you had a tuner that would tune in those frequencies, you would hear them. And this room is full of the glory of God. There are angels in this room. There might probably even be a few demons. You've got to tune in. To see the glory of God. So I'm here to tell you how to identify your own spirit within you. And I'm here to tell you, you know more about this than you think you do. It's a lot simpler. It is a mystery, but it's, a, it's simple. Everything about God is simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. You know the difference. You know more about that than you think. When your body decides it would like a second piece of pie, and then your mind says, uh, do you really want to do that? And with me, that's my wife that says that. My mind rarely says that. My mind is like, yeah, go for it, bitch. Second piece all the way. All right, okay, but your body has 
a desire, and maybe it's a voice, if you want to call it that, or there's a temptation or an attraction or whatever. Your body wants that second piece of pie, but there is a second part of you in there that says, uh, let's not do that. You can feel the tension that there are more, there's more than one part of you. Hello? Because there's two competing desires in there. If your alarm goes off early in the morning, your body says, hey, let's hit snooze. And your mind may kick in with all of the things that you need to do. And so your mind is saying, no, we need to get up. We got a busy day. Let's go. And your body's like, I am not moving. Uh Uh-huh. Right? So you feel that there are two parts of you in conflict in moments like that. Right? That's your body and your mind actually having a discussion. Or in some cases, maybe it's an argument. Uh, right? And, but your soul and your spirit can, can be in conflict when your emotions, that's your soul, your thoughts and your emotions and your desires and your personality, your emotions want to explode in a hot temper. But then your spirit, where your conscience is, tunes in, chimes in and says, eh, how about you bite your tongue this time? You know you should not say that, Mitch. Shut up. No, don't let that out. You feel that conflict in there between your soul, which is your emotions and your thoughts, your personality, and your spirit, which is your conscience or the voice of God. Right? You know more about this than you think. Surely everyone could raise their hand. Yes, I have experienced that debate in me. Right? Between my soul, what the Bible calls your soul is your feelings and thoughts and uh, desires, and my spirit, which if you're in Christ is holy. You may hear in your spirit, uh, you need to pray right now about this person or this situation or this thing. Or you need to give money to that guy on the corner. Stop, pull over, and give him money. Or you need to volunteer for this or that. Or you need to tell your waitress right now, tell her God is real, he loves you, and he wants you to know him. And instantly, heart beating, sweat, fear. Ah, I don't want to do that. And we talk ourselves out of it and we drive off. That is your soul and your spirit talking to each other. Right? You know that your soul, that's your mind, your will, and emotions, did not invent that because when it comes, your soul gets afraid and runs off. So you, your soul did not invent that. It came from your spirit, which is holy to God, if you are in Christ. The temptation to eat too much or to have sinful sex or to lie or to brag, any of that stuff is in our body or our soul, and then our conscience kicks in, and we feel that tension that Paul writes about in Romans 6 and 7 where he says, the good stuff I know I'm supposed to do, I can't get it done. And the, the bad stuff I don't want to do, and I know I shouldn't, I, I end up doing it. And he says, when I sin, it's not me doing it, it is sin operating in me. This is Romans 6 and 7. So there are different parts to us, and Paul writes about how our heart can be in conflict with our mind or our brain. Your feelings, your soul might be having a serious pouty pity party, but your uh, spirit can say, Suck it up, shake it off, forgive, and let's go. Don't go there. You know what happens when you do that. You get depressed for days. Just forgive and move on. 
Hello? Maybe some of you, your spirits don't say that. Maybe your spirit goes right along with your soul and pouts. I don't know. So these three parts of us are separate, but we are one being, just, just like God. We are a trinity, we are three, but we are one. We're completely inseparable, and everything that happens in one affects the other two. What you eat can affect your moods, right? What you put in your body affects your soul. It totally changes your emotions. If you're allergic to something or if you've had too much sugar, you know, those of you with kids, you know, it does, right? Hormones in your body change your soul. They create emotions, thoughts, feelings, troubles. Hello? What's going on in your body shapes your soul. Being tired creates moods and emotions. When our body gets tired, our soul is affected. Pain creates anger and fear. Are we not way grouchier when we're in pain? Our body hurting makes our soul, our personality, our moods, our emotions and things, makes all that change. And vice versa, stress in your heart affects your body. Stress can kill you over long periods of time. The stress is not in your body, it's in your heart. Or in your mind, right? You know that when your heart worries, there is a physical place in your body where that happens. You, you know, it's about right here. Seriously, my, my grandma, my mom's mom died of cancer. She had a volleyball-sized tumor grow right here. And she said the day before she died, she told my mom, I did this to myself by worrying all of my life because this tumor feels exactly like my worry. Worry, fear, anger, stress, all have physical responses. Now, I'm not denying that in our body those things are, they are chemical. They are physical, but the unbelieving medical world would say it's the chemicals that create the feelings. No, it's what's going on in our heart and our mind that create the sensation in our body, that release the adrenaline or the hormones or all that other stuff. We have a spirit and a soul and a body, and they affect each other. Unforgiveness, hidden sin, a guilty conscience absolutely manifest in your body. You get sin that you have kept in the dark or uh, something you haven't forgiven someone else of. Kenneth Hagin, who saw thousands of people healed in the 40s and 50s of the healing revival, he said 90% of the healings I saw were when somebody forgave somebody they needed to forgive. The sickness just melted out of their body because it was being caused by the tension and the anger and the hatred of unforgiveness. Because the Bible says bitterness rots your bones. What's going on in your conscience or your mind totally changes what's going on in your body. Proverbs 14.30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. When our heart is at peace, it actually makes us healthier. And when our heart is not at peace, it makes us weaker. You know that. You're having a stress in a relationship. It's terrible physically. And the longer it goes on, the worse it can get. We call it a pit in the stomach. Hello? We know that. Joy and peace produce bodily effects. Proverbs 17.22 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Being happy actually affects our body in a good way. Being angry or sad or depressed affects our body in a negative way. 
So again, I'm not denying genetics or chemicals or hormones or any of that. I'm just, it, it's connected, but we have a soul and a spirit. And it's, these things are much more spiritual than doctors would ever be allowed to say, even if they believe it. Drugs are not just chemical. I'm talking about illegal drugs, meth and heroin and LSD. They are not just chemical. Even some of the legal drugs, you know, the opiates and painkillers and stuff. We put them in our body. What happens? Wicked, evil, hallucinations, feelings, crime, sin happens. If drugs were purely chemical, they would be ethically and morally neutral. Half of the hallucinations would be unicorns and rainbows and Skittles. But no, they're all demons and spiders and I have to claw my skin off and pull my teeth out with pliers and put my child in the oven. I mean, I know those are extreme cases, but that's all true. It's all happened. But even your run-of-the-mill meth user, the stuff they see and the stuff they do is not morally neutral. It isn't chemical. The Greek word for witchcraft in the Bible is pharmakia. The word pharmacy, the word drugs means occult demonic witchcraft in the Bible. So what we, again, my point is what we do in the body affects our spirit and it's real. I don't know that we can explain it, but we can see it, that it's true. You know, hard work in your body can make you tired. You know, a hard relationship can make you emotionally drained and tired. But Proverbs 18 says, the human spirit can endure a sick body, but who can bear a crushed spirit? But then in the other direction, we have the verse that tells us we can have the peace that passes understanding. Your understanding, your mind and your emotions are freaking out because I got bills to pay that I can't pay. This sickness, the doctor just gave me some terrible news or tragedy just struck my family or I'm about to get fired from my job or whatever. And your soul is a mess. But how many of you have experienced the peace that passes understanding? Your spirit can kick in. In faith, in Christ, your spirit can override all of that and say, soul, settle down. Be at peace. We can have peace and love that passes our understanding because our understanding is this stuff is bad and I need to be worried. I need to be scared. I need to be anxious. I need to be depressed. I need to be angry. That's all in our soul and our spirit, when it's in Christ, can override that and you can have the peace that passes understanding. Have you known somebody, you, you know their situation in life, but they come to church and they're honestly smiling and worshiping the Lord and you think, how are they doing that? How are they living through this situation? How are they forgiving what's being done to them? It's their spirit that is overriding soul and body and providing a lot of strength. So we are one, but we are three. We are inseparable. The three parts of us cannot be separated. They are so connected that they really are one. And if one breaks down, the other two go. We all know that our body can get old or diseased or injured. And when our body quits, soul and spirit go into eternity. But our soul can leave our body. What happens when our body is alive, not on life support, our body is alive, but your personality left. What do we call that? 
called a coma. It also happens to a lesser degree with Alzheimer's. Our spirit and solar body are one. They cannot be separated, but when they get separated, things don't work right. Our body can die, our soul can die, or be separated. And then sometimes spirit leaves. Spirit means breath of life. Sometimes people just, their spirit just leaves. The medical world wants to assign blame to everybody's death and we're going to figure this out and they just call it a heart attack or whatever but really I don't know if you figured this out but a lot of times doctors don't know what they're talking about (laughs) they just want to say okay this happened or this has happened but you know my great grandma right when I was a boy she was in her I suppose late 80s or early 90s we found her on the kitchen floor on her back laying out straight with her arms crossed and a big smile on her face and she was gone she knew something Her spirit was leaving. So she laid down on the floor and she was ready to meet Jesus. She was happy to go. You know, Sarah uh, Sarah has an uncle who passed away years ago in his sleep. He got up to go to the bathroom or something real early in the morning, but at breakfast time, his wife went in and and he was just gone. He didn't have a heart attack or a stroke or anything. His spirit just left. He died in peace. You know, and that happens to uh, a lot of people. They just, their spirit just leaves their body and their breath goes. Your Body and your soul and your spirit are one, but they are separate. They are connected, but not just connected. They are so intertwined that it's hard to differentiate one from the other. What happens in one affects the other two. When one goes, you cease to be whole, and we call that death. Of course, they're all eternal, but they cease to end here. So how can we know the difference? How do we know what's what here? Let's go back to the scripture, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God, the scripture, the Bible, is what divides soul and spirit. The word of God is our guide to divide what is your soul and what is your spirit. What is you and what is the Holy Spirit of God? Can I get an amen? So you have a wild thought or you have an idea or you have uh, something you think is the leading of the Lord. How do you know that's you and how do you know it's God? I've told you this story lots of times. Years ago, I'm at the grocery store in Elgin. There's a guy popping cans in the return machine and I get in my vehicle and and I have this thought come into my mind, uh, a voice, not, I didn't hear anything in my ear. It's just a, a voice inside says, give that man $20. Instantly, I think, uh, I don't want to give that man $20. I'm busy. I'm in a hurry. And I don't want to part with my money is really what it was. And I drove off. And before I got to the edge of town, I was sweating bullets because I knew I had disobeyed God. How do I know that was God and not just me having some random thought? Because me didn't want to do it. My soul, my thoughts, my feelings, my desires, my personality was greedy, selfish. I got to get out of here. Let's, let's pull a Jonah. Uh huh. So it, it was God because I didn't want it to be real. Hello? So you can know God speaking in your spirit, the voice of your spirit um, is holy and, and there's God in there. And how do you know the difference between you and God, the word of God? Would God speak generosity? Absolutely. It's not going to hurt anybody. It isn't some rash decision like sell everything you have and move to Africa. You know, don't do that. Just, you know, if, if you hear that, then get counsel, pray fast. You know, that's a decision. But giving a guy 20 bucks on the spot is not something I need to analyze. 
I just need to receive it and obey. So when things happen that the you that's in there doesn't like, you can know that that's probably God as long as it's right and moral and ethical and holy and good and loving and forgiving and all that, okay? And there's distinct parts, and they can have real conflict sometimes. So I asked permission to tell this story from Devin, but uh, last Sunday night at our young adults dinner at our house, there, uh, Devin and another lady, young lady are talking about their experience at Bethel at the school, and, and that at Bethel there was a pressure to perform spiritually, to produce something. And that was the context of the, the conversation. And so Devin said that when it did come, when the baptism of the Holy Spirit come and she felt drunk, which is totally biblical, it's Acts chapter 2, when she began to feel drunk and overcome by the Holy Spirit, that she didn't like it at first because she said, I want to be in control of my emotions and control of my body and my mouth and all of this is accurate, right? Eventually she learned to like it, right? And, and it became something that she knew was God. But how do we know that's God or an emotional reaction that I'm looking for and trying to produce? Well, it's because the, her that's her soul did not like it. So she isn't manufacturing it, right? The word of God divides soul and spirit, the main test for me on what is God and what is not is, does my flesh like this and hope this is true, or am I in conflict with it? Because my flesh will naturally be in conflict with God. I told you this story too, but years ago, the Lord told me on the way driving somewhere one time, he said, I want you to give all the money you have in the offering on Sunday at church. Clean out the savings account, clean out your checking account, give everything. It really not that impressive because it was only a few hundred bucks. But I, got, I, I talked to Sarah, asked her permission, okay, we're going to do this. So we cleaned out our savings. Uh, we had some gold and silver coins that I needed to go get out of the bank. And I come in on Monday and Tony is in the office and I'm giving that to her. And I just told her what had happened. And I, I don't know if this is God or not. And I was a little bit worried that what if it's not, then I'm in trouble which is not true, but she said, well, the devil wouldn't tell you to do it. And that gave me a lot of peace. Like, okay, the devil's not telling me to clean out my bank account and give everything. And I know that it's not me because I'm not particularly liking it. I did not dream this up. Hello? Right? So it's the Holy Spirit. The word of God divides soul and spirit. Does this match the word of God? And is it in conflict with my flesh? Yes. Okay, then it's God. It's your spirit. Romans 8, 11 says his spirit dwells in you. So how can we know him? It's whatever aligns with the Bible and whatever argues with you. Whatever is contrary to your own soul. So the commands of God that your heart doesn't want to obey. We can know which one is God and which is not. Or maybe the word of God says, Kirk, I love you and I forgive you and you're valuable to me. And our soul says, I don't know if I believe that. I don't know if God would forgive me. I don't know if he loves me. Which one lines up with the word of God? The word of God divides soul and spirit. Which one is the Holy Spirit? Which one is my soul? Whichever one lines up with the word of God. He does love us. He does forgive us. I've told you this before, but for those of you who haven't heard it, again, years ago, I'm on my knees in the middle of the night at the couch praying, and God interrupts my prayer. How rude is that? I'm waxing eloquent uh, to God, and he interrupts to say something. 
in the middle of my prayer on whatever random thing I was praying about, I have no idea, I hear this sentence, you are not a disappointment. And instantly, I burst into tears. And then instantly after that, I think, why am I crying? (laughs) And then I think, I'm crying because I believed that. My next thought is, I didn't know I believed that I was a disappointment. None of that was in my conscious. So I know it was God because I wasn't thinking about it. It produced an emotional reaction in my soul and I had some trouble receiving it. So I didn't dream it up. Some of you are smiling and nodding. You understand this. So I didn't know that I thought Maybe I'm a disappointment to God. Maybe he hasn't forgiven me. Maybe he only loves me because he has to. But he said, you are not a disappointment. I had no idea. My soul had a reaction to what the Spirit said. So there's a difference. There's a conflict. And it's my soul that must change when the Spirit speaks. Right? The Word of God divides soul and spirit. A year ago, June... I had a dream early in the morning, right before I woke up, a man appeared to me in a dream. I think it was an angel. I'll tell you more about why when we talk about angels. For those of you who are new around here, in 10 years, I have never stood up and said an angel appeared to me. Okay, this isn't something I do regularly. If you got somebody that's seeing angels and demons every other week, you probably ought not listen to them. But I had this dream where a man appears to me in, in, in a dream and he stands in front of me and he puts his finger in my face and he says, Jesus trusts you some. (laughs) And then there were some other things that happened. I'll tell you more about it later. It was a really wild experience. And I woke up. Okay, angels appearing in dreams is totally biblical. It's all in the New Testament and the Old Testament. All right, being skeptical is not okay. Having discernment and weighing prophecies and testimonies is fine. But skepticism is not okay. I'm not telling you have to believe me. I'm just telling you, I think, I think it was from how it went. But the word was, Jesus trusts you some. Okay, if I'd woke from that dream and that man in my dream had said, Mitch, Jesus loves you. He thinks you're awesome. You're doing great. You're the greatest pastor ever. And okay, I would have to wake up and reject that because that's just stroking my ego. I probably invented that in my own sleep. If he had come and say, Mitch, you're a loser, you're a failure, God knows how dirty and how worthless you are, and you should feel all of that. I'd probably have to wake up and reject that. That's my own conscience kicking my own butt. But I cannot describe to you how exciting and encouraging it was to be told that Jesus only trusts me some. I was so pumped when I woke up like... Yes, I'm doing something right, and I got a lot more to do right. Let's go for it. I cannot tell you how pumped I was that Jesus trusts me some, a little bit. Yes, great. Let's go for more. It was perfect, because if it had been either of those other extremes, I totally would have thought I had to reject it, because it would be coming from my soul. But because it doesn't match what my soul uh, wants to hear, it's and it lines up with the word of God, then, then it's God. When our 
conviction comes or our excuses are run over or ignored, when we're commanded to obey something that we don't like or don't want or don't look forward to doing, you can know that's your spirit talking. That's the Holy Spirit. It's your conscience, if you want to reduce it to that word. Romans 8 11, I think it's still on the screen. His spirit dwells in you. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that, the temple, that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? We, our body, is the temple of God and the Holy Spirit lives in here. I don't mean that a surgeon could go digging around in there and find a spot full of the Shekinah glory of God. That's not, we know that's not what it means. It's, a, it's on a different dimension than the three that we live in. But the Holy Spirit does live in our body. We are the temple. And both Peter and Paul in 2 Corinthians and 2 Peter refer to their body as a tent that their spirit lives in, that the Holy Spirit lives in. So there is a tent that is a temple. It's called the tabernacle. Uh, there's a little model of it there in the back that you saw when you came in. We're going to watch a video right now for those of you who are maybe not familiar with the tabernacle. This was built during the days of Moses and Joshua, and it was, they were nomadic people, so it was built to move around and set up in new places wherever the pillar of fire moved. They moved this tabernacle, but I want you to see the parts of the tabernacle and the furnishings and the things that went on in it. So the tabernacle had this white linen curtain fence around it that was put on hold up by posts and the gate was this by God, everything is described in the book of exodus had a gate there that they came through and then this is called the outer court there was a bronze or a brazen altar where they burned the sacrifices lambs turtle doves calves goats were all burned on that altar there after they were slaughtered that represents the death of jesus you know, they'd have to put blood on what was called the horns of the altar. The next thing is what's called a laver, that basin right there on a stand. It's called the bronze laver. It was made out of the melted mirrors of the Israelite women. And it was full of water and the priests would have to wash their hands and faces and become ceremonially clean before they went into the presence of God. This represents our baptism. And when you're in the laver, you're looking at your own reflection. It is to, for you to make sure that you are clean before you go in. Then the front room of the tabernacle is called the holy place. And there are three items in the holy place. The lampstand and the table of showbread and the incense altar. The lampstand was beaten out of one solid piece of gold. It had seven lamps on it that were lit. The center lamp was never to go out. The other lamps were lit during the day when the priests were at work in there. This table of 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel. They stayed there all week. The priests would eat them on Saturdays and they would put out new fresh bread. This is the bread that David uh, took from the tabernacle to eat when he and his men were running from Saul. Called the showbread or the bread of the presence. This is the altar of incense right in front of the curtain that divided it from the most holy place. Every morning and every evening at sunrise and sunset, the priests would put incense on this altar and sing or chant a song of worship to God. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. We just sang it. Revelation tells us that the incense is the prayers of the saints. Behind that curtain is the most holy place or the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. 
The lid of the Ark of the Covenant is called the mercy seat. There was two cherubim with their wings spread out. This is all exactly described in Exodus. And once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in and put blood on the altar or on the mercy seat on the lid of the Ark. Inside the Ark were the Ten Commandments, a bowl of manna that uh, had been collected, and Aaron's rod that had budded. If you don't know that story, not, not have time to go into it, but Aaron's shepherd's staff budded and grew branches and leaves and blossoms and almonds. And they put that, God told them to put that in the ark. And on top of all of that, right on top of the mercy seat is where the pillar of fire rested. And, on top, and it was visible all the way out of the tent and up into the sky where all the Israelites could see it. They used that tent for... Uh, depending on the timeline that historians have figured out, three to five hundred years from Moses until David began to prepare to build the temple, and then Solomon actually got it done. But the temple is built in the, on the same design. It's not the exact same floor plan, but all the same items and the same layout of the rooms and the outer court and all of that. It's based on the tabernacle. So here's an artist's rendering of what it might have looked like with the Israelites camped around the tabernacle. And there's the pillar of fire that rested on top of the the tabernacle. So we have these parts of the tabernacle. And then the Bible says your body is a tent that is a temple. Let that sink in. Your body is a tent that is a temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit if you are in Christ. Your body is a tent. So in the layout, the very specific chapters and chapters and chapters and chapters of exact metals and woods and colors and items where God said this is exactly, the table of showbread had to be on the north side of the temple and the the lampstand had to be on the south side of the tabernacle. It was exact measurements of everything. This is God describing us. This is God laying out for us who we are. The outer court that's connected to the outside world is your body. The holy place where worship happens is your soul. The most holy place where the fire of God is, is your spirit. You are a tent that is a temple. You, the tabernacle is a model of your being. Again, I don't mean that your surgeon's going to dig down in here and find a holy place and a most holy place. They're on a different spiritual dimension, but they're there. In the holy place, the bread represents the provision or the food that God gives us for our soul. When Jesus said, my body is real food, I am the living bread. If you eat me, you will never die. He's not talking about physical bread. There's soul bread in there there's spiritual bread that feeds our soul the lamp is the light of truth or revelation the incense altar is where worship happens Uh, again revelation tells us it's the prayers of incense is the prayers of the saints when you pray and you worship it's not physical it's going on in your soul where you are standing at the altar of incense and you are praising god you are praying you are requesting you are worshiping and it's incense it smells good to god you make him smile The altar of incense was immediately in front of the curtain. The curtain is right here. If this is the altar of incense, and it was about this size, actually, uh, the curtain is right here, and right behind it is the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God is. Worship is the closest you can get to the presence of God 
in your soul. It is. In the holy place, the first room inside the tent, all of the priests could go in there anytime they wanted. Uh, they changed out the bread, they trimmed the wicks on the lamps, they filled them with oil, they're keeping it clean or whatever it is they're doing. All of them can go in and out all day long and do whatever they want. There's some prescribed events that have to happen. But pretty much, as long as they are ceremonially clean, they can go in there. And on the Day of Atonement, the holy place becomes the changing room. This is the, this is the room where the high priest puts on his priest, high priestly garments. He anoints himself with blood and oil. He puts on the ephod, which is the 12 stones on his chest, which represents the 12 tribes of Israel over his heart. And he has to go in with the blood and put it on the mercy seat. And when, he goes, when they go behind the curtain, it, I don't know, it's not biblical, but apparently it's historical record that that's where they used to have to tie a rope on him in case he died in there. You know, if he went in in an unworthy manner, apparently they had somebody die and they couldn't get him out because you can't go in there because <laughs> the fire of God consumed this guy. That's the most holy place. That's, the holy place is a little bit more traffic and a little bit more activity, but we only go into the most holy place once, once a year. And there's a curtain or a veil between that. So the holy place is our soul. And that is dedicated to God. It's where we pray, it's where we worship, it's where God gives us the light of understanding, the lamp of revelation. Uh, It's where God feeds us with his word and his love. And it's also where a lot of other people are. I am in your soul right now. Everybody that you love and relate with is in your soul. But only the high priest, Hebrews says Jesus is our high priest, only the high priest can go into the Holy of Holies with his own blood to make you holy. Right? You have lots of priests that come into your holy place, teachers and authors and pastors and loved ones and family who take care of you, who even worship God with you, who are in your heart. But only Jesus can go into that deepest core part of you and with his own blood and make you holy. There is a veil, there is a curtain there between our soul and our spirit. They are very, very, very close, but they're separated. There's a curtain between them. And Jesus can go behind that curtain with his own blood. Inside of the holy place is this inner room. There's not activity. It's just the Ark of the Covenant, which represents Jesus. It contains the the law of God, the resurrection life of God, and the eternal life food of God. The manna, the rod, and the law are in the Ark of the Covenant. That's what is in Jesus' heart. And when you give your heart and life to Jesus, he puts himself in the very core, deepest part of your being. Jesus moves in. And then the Holy Spirit lights a fire in your holy of holies proverbs twenty twenty seven says the spirit of a man is the candle of the lord the spirit of a man is the candle of the lord the holy spirit is always represented by fire amongst other things but he is a fire people who don't have jesus their spirit is dead god told adam and eve on the day you eat of the fruit you will die Their body did not die. Their mind did not die. What part died? Their spirit died. 
And you know, people in the world, they're empty, they're lifeless, they have nothing to live for, they have no hope, no truth, they have no revelation. But when you came to Jesus, he turned the light on. He moved into your heart and he turned the light on. Even on, in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, what's it say? They had tongues of fire on their heads. They were human candles. Come on. Part of that is he had to bring his blood into your heart to make you holy, to pay for your sins. But then the Holy Spirit moves in over the mercy seat and now there is a fire inside of you. A holy fire that burns with righteousness and passion and purity. God lit your candle. On the very deepest core part of you, he lit your candle. And the inner sanctum, the holy of holies, the most holy place in the tabernacle is a picture of your spirit where Jesus went and he put himself and his blood and the Holy Spirit in there. And you are filled with the word of God, the resurrection life of God, and the heavenly eternal life food of God. And only the high priest may go in there. Not even the people you love the most, who are you the most open to, that you trust the most and love the most, we cannot go into your spirit. We can go into your emotions and your mind, and, and that's what relationship is. Relationship is all in the soul, except your relationship with Jesus is in your spirit. And that place is purified with the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit fire of God. Fire is completely 100% pure. Nothing unclean can survive in fire. This is how you, if you have become, if you have come into Christ, if you are in the spirit, this is how you can be crucified with Christ. You can be dead to sin. You can be in the spirit. When you screw up every day, somebody can be in Christ, a saved person who's truly in real faith for the forgiveness of their sins. They've asked Jesus to be their Lord. They've been baptized And the Bible says when we're in that state, we have died with Christ. We have been resurrected with him. That the old is gone, the new has come. That we have been made holy. But it also says that we have to be sanctified every day. We have to be washed clean. What part has to be washed clean? The stuff in in the most holy place is never touched except by the blood of the lamb. But out in the holy place, that stuff's getting washed every day. Our mind, our emotions have to be cleaned every day. Hello? They weren't born again. Your spirit was born again. Your soul was not born again. The Bible's full of instructions for you to put on the mind of Christ, to be transformed in your mind, to take thoughts captive, right? Your soul is being renewed, being sanctified, and your body hasn't died or been born again yet, but it will be, right? It's your spirit that has been born again. So we can have somebody who is in Christ, they have asked for forgiveness, they have received salvation, they are born again, but you and I look at them from the outside like, that person is a mess. What? I mean, is that person even a Christian? The reason why somebody can be holy and clean and forgiven, but still be a mess is because the holy fire is there. In the deep core of their being, their faith is real. Their repentance is real. Their faith is real, but their soul, it's all a mess. It's all kinds of broken. And they're in the process of getting sanctified. That'll help you with you, and it'll help you be patient with a lot of other people too. It helps me be patient with you. 
Uh-huh. You are. You are clean. You are holy. Nothing unclean can exist in fire. Fire is the purest thing there is. The Holy Spirit fire of God in your soul makes you clean. In your spirit makes you clean even if your soul is messed up. One last thing. That curtain that separated the ark from the altar of incense. The priest would stand in front of that incense and he would worship toward something he could not see. It was just a few feet away, but he could not see it. There was a barrier there. That's the curtain that ripped when Jesus was on the cross. Jesus tore that veil that is his flesh that opened up the door between heaven and earth. It opens up the door between our worship and the presence of God. The Israelites were worshiping something they couldn't see. We are worshiping something we are one with. And it opens the door between our soul and our spirit. If the two rooms represent our soul and our spirit, that dividing wall is gone and your soul is holy. And God can inhabit not just your spirit but your soul and you can love and you can forgive and you can feel and you can think with the mind and heart of Christ. There's not supposed to be a barrier between our soul and our spirit because Jesus cut that. Again, the word of God penetrates soul and spirit. Cuts that curtain in the temple. But a whole bunch of us have some really tall, thick walls around us. We don't want to let people in. We don't want to let God out. Walls of fear or pride or some sort of hidden sin or distrust or whatever. Next week. <laughs> Next week. The curtain is, was sliced by Jesus. And of course, the immediate picture is that lets God out of the box. He comes out of the most holy place and he is poured out on all flesh on the day of Pentecost, right? The holy fire, Shekinah, God of glory, moved out of the back room and into the entire earth. But it also is a picture of Jesus ripping the dividing line between us and God. We are now no longer worshiping something we can't see, but we can look Jesus face to face. As we worship him, our soul and our spirit become one. Our soul becomes one with the holy fire of God. And we can actually interact with who we're worshiping. Which is the whole point of everything I'm going to say and lead you into in the next year. Is that we interact with who we are worshiping. The tabernacle is a picture of it all. But a whole bunch of us have walls around our tabernacle. Not just a fabric fence, but a stone wall that's really thick and really high. I don't want to let anybody in and I don't want to let God out because I'm afraid to obey God because that would be painful or scary or difficult. I don't want to let other people in because I've been hurt. Uh, so we're gonna, the Bible calls that a stronghold, a fort. You have built a fort around yourself that has become a prison instead of protection. Next week. Next week. Be here. Be here. Lord, we love you. We bless you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your teaching.